Hey, what's going on, everybody? Kevin L. Johnson here from shows such as Ozark, Stranger Things, Florida Man, FBI, and you are listening to Kyle on the Isle. And welcome to Kyle on the Isle. I'm Kyle Olson. Our guest today is a testament to the notion that Hollywood dreams can come true from anywhere, even in Atlanta, Georgia. Kevin L. Johnson is best known for his memorable role as Sam in the hit series Ozark and his portrayal of a young Victor Creel in Stranger Things. He has become a familiar face on our screens and his performances have not only captivated audiences, but have earned him two prestigious Screen Actors Guild Award nominations. But Kevin's journey to success is as unique as it is inspiring. He's a shining example of how dedication and hard work can lead to stardom without following the traditional path of relocating to Hollywood. Based primarily out of Atlanta, Kevin has navigated the bustling world of showbiz with impressive skill and adaptability. In today's episode, we'll hear Kevin discuss what it's like to be recognized among such extraordinary talent, his experience working on some of TV's most popular shows, and the acting methods that have helped him bring his characters to life. His story is a beacon for aspiring actors everywhere showing that with a little talent and perseverance, the path to Hollywood success can start anywhere. Join us as we explore the fascinating world of Kevin L. Johnson, a remarkable actor who's proving that Hollywood is not just a place, but a state of mind. And action! Kevin L. Johnson, welcome to Kyle on the Isle. We are so happy to have you here today, dude. What's up, buddy? Nice to see you again. Uh, it is so nice to see you again. I feel like you and I constantly run into each other in the most unexpected places, and that has been such a treat and such a thrill to be able to kind of follow your crazy adventures as they unfold over the years. We both kind of met when we were kind of just getting started in the industry, Yeah, and I think both of us have found a, a little bit of luck in the industry, and so uh, it's been fun to to kind of see how the journey has taken us so far, and I'm excited to talk to you about this today, and I have no doubt that our listeners are excited to hear. So I, I always like to kind of start these episodes by talking a little bit about origin story, right? What was it for you that kind of first gave you an interest that maybe this whole Hollywood acting thing is something that I want to do? If I go back and I'm really honest with myself, I watched a lot of wrestling in high school, you know, okay. Stone Cold, The Rock, Triple H. Yeah. I'd be watching it and I would just like mimic the rock or I'd mimic stone cold. Like, so I feel like I always had that itch, but I didn't realize where it was coming from. And I had seen plays before in high school. Cause you know, when you're in high school, it was almost like a freebie, like, Oh, we don't have to go to three yeah. or four classes. <laughs> and then when you get to college, it's a grander stage, bigger audience, better performances. So I went to college as a computer science major didn't quite work out. 
switched to an English major. And one of the big projects of the year is we had to go see the big production of the semester, which was a funny thing happened on the way to the forum. Mm, okay. And we had to write about it. So I went to go see it. And I was like, man, that looks like a lot of fun. And I'm kind of an introvert, so I also took it as like a challenge to try something new, break out of my shell. So the first play I ever auditioned for was the Heidi Chronicles, and it was a cold read. Didn't know what a cold read was. <laughs> they gave me my sides. Didn't know what that meant either. <laughs> and that was my first time auditioning. I guess, long story short, I mean, I got into it in college, yeah. Right. Okay. Very interesting. And so was it a little bit of this theater at first and then kind of evolving into film or what was kind of the trajectory when you were first getting started? I was theater. Yeah. A lot of people at my college were going to be going to Chicago when they graduated because that was kind of like the hot spot, like all the improv spots yeah. and then also right. like just live theater in general. So that was the plan when I graduated is to move to Chicago. And I literally started calling restaurants in Chicago. <laughs> I just realized it wasn't going to be the easiest thing to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to move back home for a bit, figure things out. And I just got lucky that the film business was starting to boom in North Carolina. You know, yeah, they had like One Tree Hill in Wilmington, but... They had Homeland coming in. Iron Man was right around the corner, like Iron Man 3, I think. So the film business, I just, I thought that was going to be extremely hard to get into or have to be out in LA or something to do that. Right. But yeah, I moved back home. I started taking acting classes, got some headshots done, started like looking at agencies. My demo reel at the time was this movie that I did in college. It never got done. We never finished it. <laughs> As many college movies go. <laughs> yeah. But I had, I had footage from it. Yeah. And it was good footage for somebody who was very green. Somebody actually emailed me and he was interested. And I was like, holy cow. Somebody wants to rep me and be my yeah. agent. Wow. This is actually happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's a huge piece of validation for somebody, especially as they're first starting off, right? Once you've got the agent, you've obviously been kind of swirling around the South and kind of getting your stuff together and getting the reel and all that. Once you secured that agent, what was the first big break that you would say you had? Well, I became SAG eligible when I did a Burger King commercial. So I had an audition for like a Tony Stewart spot yeah. uh, where he was working, you know, one of those real spots, so to speak. And he was working at the drive through at Burger King. And I was an employee at Burger King, but that was a SAG spot. So yeah. I was super excited when I booked it. Sure. And I became SAG eligible. So I wouldn't say it was my big break. If I'm honest, my big break is Ozark for sure. And that took, you know, that took like eight, nine years, but yeah. But it sounds like it was a big break for your career in the fact that that got you SAG eligible, right? Mm -hmm. And that yeah. was able to kind of open some new doors and more opportunities. Yeah, my first TV show that I did was One Tree Hill. I remember because I, I almost didn't even do the audition. You had to drive to Wilmington back in the day to go to the first round of auditions. You would stick around during that day. You'd go to lunch or something, and they would call like, hey, we want you to come back for the callback, which was the day. So I called my dad, and I was like, dad, do you want to drive to Wilmington with me? A little father-son trip. And he was like, yeah, I guess. So he went with me to Wilmington. I auditioned for originally, it was like a fan 
of like one of the basketball players in the show. And they said, all right, that's good. Um, We have this other role that we just got mm. and it was for cameraman. And I was like, okay. So yeah, we just need you to read the lines for cameraman. And I'm like, oh, do I need to go, you know, outside and like look at him real quick? And she's like, I mean, you can, but it's really just <laughs> three, two, and go or something like, like very <laughs> something even I would remember. Right, right, right. So I did that. And while I was grabbing lunch with my dad somewhere, they called and they were like, yeah, we want you to come back. Okay. So I booked cameraman on One Tree Hill and it was like a recurring co-star role for like three episodes. And that was my first time getting to be on like a TV set. So it was good to see how it works. Right, right. That must be something that's kind of interesting, right? Because up until that point, you're kind of getting oriented and you're having the auditions and you're working in the theater realm a little bit and doing your thing in college. But to be on a quote unquote real TV set is mm -hmm. a bit of a change from what you were probably used to before that, right? There's always that moment that it kind of hits you and there's a bit of an aha moment, I feel like, whenever we hit that real set for the first time. <laughs> oh, yeah. It the whole hurry up and wait thing is very real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Unless yeah. you're like the first scene up. Because if you're the first scene up and you got one scene that day. Yeah, it's great. Boom, you're done. But man, if you got one of those later scenes, you could be in that trailer trying to pass the time. It was crazy getting used to because it felt like I was being pampered. Yeah. And it felt kind of weird. Right. You have a production assistant coming over to you like, hey, here's your trailer. You know, do you want some breakfast? Do you want some coffee? At first, I'm just like, uh, I mean, I'm fine. I appreciate it. <laughs> but you get used to it. Just don't be a dick, and you'll get along with everybody on set. Just be cool. <laughs> Solid words of wisdom right here. Don't be a dick, yeah. and you'll get along with everyone on set. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Stay in your area. Don't go wandering off. Don't be that guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really easy as an actor. Just don't be a dick. Stay in your area so that when they come looking for you, you're ready to go. You can hop in your yep. scenes. Those are solid pieces of advice, especially for those just starting off. You obviously mentioned Ozark, which, of course, was a huge role for you in a lot of ways. You even got a SAG Award nominee for this, which was absolutely incredible. I want to hear about this process. You've been acting for a little bit. You're getting the gigs here and there. But then a call, I assume, comes along to say, hey, would you like to come in and audition for Ozark? Tell me about this process and how you ended up becoming a actual full-fledged cast member on this huge freaking show. So I live in Atlanta now. I think it was like a year after I'd moved. I got an audition for this new Netflix show called Ozark. Starring Jason Bateman, executive produced by Jason Bateman. Bill Dubuque was the, the creator. He did The Accountant with Ben Affleck. Very minimal breakdown. Didn't tell you a lot. Sam Dermody, affable, lives in the Ozarks, real estate agent, loves his dog. Something like that was the breakdown. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to literally be myself in this audition. Mm. My audition was my very first scene in the show where where Wendy, played by the awesome Laura Linney, shows up at my real estate office. And I'm in my chair, and she hears this, like, moaning going on. <laughs> and she thinks something's going on. Right. And you find out it's the dog, like, licking peanut butter off my toes. But I just wanted to make it just as natural as possible. And, yeah, you have an objective. You have your obstacles. You have your strategies. That kind of stuff is that right. you learn in acting class. Sure. 
some people I think played it like he was attracted to Wendy, and I was just like, I think I'm just gonna play it straight, be the nice, affable guy. I can't even really remember like what my objective was. I mean, well, your objective in every audition is to get <laughs> to, 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 to get, get the, role. the role, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, when you're talking to your reader, yeah, it's your objective. You want them to say that was really freaking good. So, like when I got on set and got to work with Laura for the first time, I mean, why go in there and gild the lily, dance with the date that brung you? I'm getting to act opposite one of the greatest actors of all time. She's Laura freaking Lenny. She's a national treasure. Use it. Yeah. Which is what I did in every scene with her. The same thing with Julia. She's phenomenal. And Ozark just took her career to the stratosphere. Oh, yeah. And I'm getting to act opposite these people. And Jason Bateman. These are phenomenal actors. And it just makes your objective really simple sometimes. Yeah. So talk to me a little bit about this objective that you talk about. Obviously, there are folks that have taken acting classes that know kind of what you're speaking of here. But for those that might not be as familiar with the actor lingo, so to speak, when you talk about the objective, what is that? And how does that play into basically any day that you're on set? Yeah, well, in life, we always have an objective. It may just not be like a conscious thing, but we always have it. I like to figure out like the fictional objective first. Ozark, for example, like Sam, like what is Sam trying to get in this scene, you know? And then if I can figure out an objective that is similar to the fictional objective, and it doesn't always have to be, but when it is, that's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. So for example, in season four, before we started shooting season four, I was watching For All Mankind, which I, I recommend people watch. Oh, great show. There was an actor on there And he ended up working on Ozark. And I'd seen him in For All Mankind. Such a nice dude. Eric, uh, Eric Linden. I just remember in our very first scene, he shows up at the Lazy O Motel. But he's like this celebrity chef, right? So I'm walking out. And I don't have a ton of lines in the scene. But this is my first scene with Eric. And Kevin has seen him in this show For All Mankind. And he's been in other things and I've seen him and I'm like, holy shit, I'm, I'm getting to act opposite this guy who I've, who's <laughs> Kevin has seen in some cool shows. And now he gets to work on Ozark and I get to act opposite him. Are you serious? This is awesome. My objective was very simple. When you think about your objective, you want to make it something very tangible. So if my personal objective is I want Eric to say to me, it's been great working with you, like something like, Obviously, he can't say that in the scene. But if I'm like laser focused on getting that, then the audience sees the fictional. They see, oh, man, he's a super fan of this celebrity chef. They don't see, oh, Kevin's a huge fan of Eric. So it sounds like you're after really, if I'm hearing this correctly, two objectives, right? There's your objective as the character. And then there's the objective you have as Kevin, the actor, Mm -hmm. right? And you're trying to hit the objectives for both of these things during any given day when you're on set, right? So tell me, how do you differentiate between your personal objective and your character's objective? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, I try to figure out the fictional before, you know, I'm in the trailer, maybe, or the night before. Mm -hmm. And then... You never know what your personal objective is going to be until you get on set, really. That's what the fun thing is. Uh, The audience 
sees the fictional world through your strategies that you use that creates the fictional world. Instead of Kevin's world, right. you see Sam's world by the strategies yeah. that he uses in the scene. Yeah. Now, when we talk about your acting approach here, there's obviously many different ways that people approach acting. Some folks stay in character from the moment they arrive sure. on set until the time they get in their car at the end of the day. Other people can turn it on and off like a light switch. And there's many other theories and uh, approaches in between. What is your personal approach when it comes to acting? Um, I know the whole method acting is what they call it, but it always, right. When you hear like method acting, you think, because everybody has a method, like <laughs> the idea of method acting is always like, Oh, like Jim Carrey on, uh, you know, the movie man on the moon, like he was referred to as Andy Kaufman on set. I don't do that. Um, I guess there's no right or wrong way. I always say whatever helps you get to where you got to get to is the right way. Yeah, very much so. Obviously, you did quite a few episodes during your time on Ozark. Is there a particular episode or maybe even a particular scene that stands out as like, this is the one that of my time on Ozark, I am most proud of? Most proud of? Uh, well, I still think my favorite scene is from season one, where I got to confront Wendy and Marty. I think they were putting money into the walls and my mom had just gotten hit by the garbage truck and I was trying to figure out what we're, how I was going to pay for the funeral it was a scene where Sam was a different guy like he stood up to them and it was so good like one of the lines was just give me my fucking money like that was a line in the script it was just right. give me my fucking money but I'm acting opposite Jason Bateman and Laura Lenny so I so <laughs> no yeah. pressure right so so a little bit of Kevin comes out at the very end and I'm like, just give me my fucking money, please. You know, like I just couldn't help but add the please at the end. And it just made sense. You know, like he stood up for himself, but then, you know, he backed down just a tad. <laughs> and, and did that make the cut? That was what made the cut. Yeah. It's on my demo reel and everything. Yeah. <laughs> it's still probably my favorite scene, I would say. Yeah. That's amazing. So. In all this time, you definitely got recognized for your work on a number of occasions, perhaps the one that's most notable here, outstanding performance by an ensemble in a drama series at the yeah. SAG Awards. My favorite part of watching the SAG Awards last year was any time that they cut to your table because it looked like you guys were just having the time of your lives. We were, yeah. And if, I'm, if I remember correctly, Jason won that night, right? He won the SAG for Best yeah. Actor. Yeah, when he won, I was like, oh my God, so he's going to be backstage. And now they're doing like the best ensemble for dramatic, you know, for a drama. I was like, we're going to fucking win this. Yeah. They are. They set it up this way. That's why this is happening. And right. we did. I mean, right. White Lotus right. won, which was a lot of people thought that, that they were going to win. You could say that they probably could have been in the limited series category, but, you know, they came back for season two. So they had to put it in a different category. But dude, it was like stiff competition all around for that. Like it was Ozark severance which was incredible the crown who doesn't love the crown better call saul was up like for their final season they were up for best drama like it was just a who's who and it was really anybody's guess but man it was so much fun to be there i didn't get to go for season two because there's a rule where you have to be in at least 50 percent of the episodes for the season and i was only in four out of ten 
I think, in season two. Season three came along, but then the pandemic happened. So we had a virtual mm. awards show. And I was like, man. Right. It's just not the same. Because I got nominated for season three. And I was like, all right, season four, I know we're going to get nominated. I just got to make sure I'm in at least half of the episodes. <laughs> that was your objective. <laughs> but yeah, I was in eight out of 14. So yeah. I got to go to the awards earlier this year. And it was just, dude, it was a who's who, man, of people. Like Viola Davis, Jessica Chastain, who's my favorite actor right now and has been for a while. Yeah, it was just a blast. I mean, I could talk about that all night. Well, tell me a little bit about, like, I know what I saw when I watch the the SAG Awards on TNT, but what's happening when we're not seeing everything? When the commercial breaks are happening and when you guys are talking as you're walking down the red carpet and all of the moments that the cameras maybe don't get to see as much. Tell me a little bit, like, give me your best stories from SAG night. What are you going and telling your friends the next day after you were out, oh, wow. out a, a, on a night at the town in Hollywood at the SAG Awards? Wow. Um, so when you get there, you get in line, like your name, like, Hey, what's your name? They give you a card or something like that. You do the whole, what do they call it? Like rinse and repeat. So there were like three different red carpets and you just kind of went around to each person, did your pictures. I think at one point I was right behind Jamie Lee Curtis, which was pretty cool. <laughs> Sam Elliott, he showed up and like he, he was walking through and I was like, I was like, man, you were great in 1883, man. And he shakes my He's like, thanks, man. Appreciate it. And he just like, tapped me on the show. I was like, holy cow, that was insane. What just happened? Sam yeah. freaking Elliot. Man. <laughs> I imagine that evenings like this kind of refuel your creative cup in a way, because you're able to be oh, in sure. a room that you're surrounded by the likes of Jamie Lee Curtis, Sam Elliott at all. Right. And this is ultimately why you got in the industry in a lot of ways, right? You want to be around these incredible legends of the field of the craft. And you're able to be here in the same room, having this insane, in, uh, unbelievable night that really can only happen in Hollywood. Another gig that obviously brought you uh, a, a lot of fame and a lot of people going, oh my gosh, I know that guy. Uh, I, I know this because I myself was one of those people screaming at the TV when I saw this, is your role in Stranger Things, where you play the young Victor Creel, which turns out is one of these character plot lines that is critical to the overall story arc of Stranger yeah. Things. I remember I was watching the latest season of Stranger Things. And, you know, they're starting to dive into this backstory of Victor Creel and all this. And all of a sudden, there you are on screen. And I'm sitting at home on my couch and I just scream at the TV. It's like, oh, my gosh, that's Kevin. He's playing young Victor Creel. And so I have a few questions to ask here. The first is. A franchise like Stranger Things, you know, with Ozark, you kind of came in from the ground level, right? Like they were putting that show together and you were able to be there at the very beginning. And I'm sure that was a very neat experience to be able to watch that show kind of unfold as you being a part of that cast and growing and getting more than the 50% and that sort of thing. But with Stranger Things, this is a show that has proven its worth. It has been on the air for years. And now here you come and you have an opportunity to enter this massive world that so many people around the globe love and watch and enter yourself 
as a huge character in a massive plot point in what was a pinnacle season for Stranger Things. How did this come to be? So, you know, Stranger Things is very, like, secretive about all their stuff. So when I got the audition, here's the funny thing. This is how secretive they are. So when I got the audition, it said, young father who had somebody die in the family, dealing with trauma. And they were looking for a young Bill Maher. This is how secretive they are. They couldn't say they were looking for a young Robert England. Right. They said a young Bill Maher. Now, if you go and look at a young Bill Maher yeah. next to a young Robert England, I can see why they chose that. I asked my manager, I was like, do I look like a young Bill Maher? And also, <laughs> is Bill Maher going to be on Stranger Things? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The links still go to make sure that stuff doesn't get out. Yeah. We shot right before the pandemic in Rome, Georgia, on location at this house that that ended up being the Creel house. And I think I had shot like a couple days and I had a couple more days to go, but everything shut down. You know, when they were shutting off the NCAA tournaments and NBA, like you knew shit was getting real. And I was like, oh man, yeah, we're just going to take a two week break and we'll see where we are. (laughs) Right. Two weeks to stop the spread. We'll all be back in a few. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I called one of my actor friends and I told her, I was like, how long do you think it's going to be? Like the people of Stranger Things said they're going to see where we are in a couple of weeks. He's, she was like, Kevin, try like almost a year. I was like, come on. You got to yeah. be kidding me. But yeah, because we shot in March and then I went back in like November of 2020. Wow. For the and, same role and essentially these same scenes. Yeah. Wow. They had rebuilt the Creole house at Screen Gems in Atlanta. And we shot there. And then I also shot some in 2021 while I was shooting the final season of Ozark. So a lot of people didn't work during the pandemic. And I was lucky that one of my most lucrative years was actually 2021. Wow. I was very blessed and lucky that I had that. Yeah, absolutely. It's so interesting to hear that you booked this amazing role you go in, it's the beginning of March, 2020. We all know what happened as March, 2020 unfolded. And then all of a sudden you, uh, oh, we're going to do a quick pause. We're going to go away for two weeks. Two weeks becomes welcome back in November, months later to pick up this same character. Was it easy to just get back into it? Or was there a little bit of mental gymnastics that you had to do to say, what did we do in March? <laughs> um, I mean, if I'm honest, no, it was pretty, it was pretty easy to get back into it. Getting to hang out with my friend Tyner, who played my wife on the show. Side note, she's in the new season of For All Mankind. Series reg, her first series reg. She is killing it right now. Go Tyner, love her. But yeah, getting to go back on set and just do anything was going to be fun. Um, Yeah. When you talk about the secretive nature of this production, obviously Stranger Things, not the only ones here that have this bit of a secretive nature. Uh, I know friends that have worked on Marvel productions and all these kind of, you know, the bigger they are, the more secretive they get. For sure. Does that in itself pose challenges? I know sometimes it's harder to get your hands on a script or harder to understand even the full context of a scene because of how under wraps things are. 
did that pose to be challenging for this experience? Oh, yeah. We didn't know a lot about Vecna. Like, no, actually, we didn't know anything about Vecna. Didn't know the big baddie yeah. at all. Okay. And I just had a feeling we were going to be very important to the season, especially when we went back and we shot stuff with Raphael, who plays my son. And they went back and shot, like, close-ups of him with his eyes. And I was like, yeah, something's not right with my son. <laughs> I think something's going on here. So you started to piece together the story before you heard what the full story was. Yeah. Had no idea who Vecna was. Didn't know what they were going to do with that. I right. just had a feeling that my son was not the best, to put it mildly. <laughs> right. And this was kind of based on how they were approaching the filming of these scenes and what they were focusing yeah. on and that sort of thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, very interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. You mentioned something earlier that I wanted to kind of tap into here because I know this is a real thing with anybody who's acting, which of course comes to remembering lines and remembering choreography direction. There's a lot of things that you have to remember on top of just a line, right? There's direction. There's oh, yeah. you know, how you're facing the camera, all this. You had mentioned earlier that, uh, you know, your memory maybe isn't your favorite <laughs> or best skill. I, I can only imagine that you are not the only person who doesn't have a perfect yeah. memory that is an actor. So what are the ways or tips and tricks you use to keep your memory fresh when you're on set? Well, learning the lines, I came up with break it up into beats. And other people do this too. Mm. So figure out where your beats are and memorize that first beat over and over and over again. Go to the next beat and then you just kind of build until you get done with the scene. Yeah. I feel like that works. I mean, you got to say it out loud to learn it sometimes. Ah, it's just so weird because you don't want to say your lines too much over and over and over again because then you'll get kind of used to it though you want the words to still come out fresh like this is the first time you said this right don't want to be too rehearsed exactly so if you can say it without anything behind it when you're memorizing it maybe like that way you're literally just trying to get the lines and that's it right when you look at something like ozark how long did you typically have to memorize lines and prep for upcoming episodes they gave us the scripts usually like a week or two in advance, probably. Okay. So I would find the scenes that Sam is in and I would break up beats and get those scenes down. Um, like when you get on set, if you forget your line, that could be, it could be scary. You really can get in your own head and you're like, man, I'm slowing down production. Right. But you have to forgive yourself. Nobody's perfect. Take your own beat to breathe in, breathe out, whatever you have to do. Like, and a lot of times if you do that, the universe will reward you and be like, hey, Kevin, you're good. You got the line. Yeah. It's right there. Don't worry about it. Be kind to yourself. That's good advice, I think. I like what you said here about the universe kind of rewarding you because from where you started when you were first kind of watching a theater production to 
getting your agent, becoming SAG eligible, landing a huge role on a, a massive series with Jason Bateman and Stranger Things and you know all these things in between. You really have had some incredible Hollywood experiences, yet you've stepped very few times into Hollywood. And I think that that's such a neat part of your story, right? Is that you're based out of the South. You're down, you're yeah. based out of Georgia now. You go to Hollywood occasionally to, of course, do gigs or SAG award shows and things like that. But <laughs> you really have made a living for yourself in the acting world down in the South. And I think that's something that was not possible a few decades ago. But now right. the South has become such a hub for filmmaking that that is yeah. possible. Tell me a little bit about that. We're, <laughs> I know because you and I PA'd together back in the day on Bachelor. The Bachelor, yep. I know there was a moment in time where you were debating coming to LA. And the only reason I know this is because we were almost roommates. We were yep. this close. <laughs> we were. I do remember that. But then you ultimately decided to stay back in the South. And so I'm curious what kind of drove that decision and if you have ambitions of coming to L.A. or if you've really kind of found your tribe, so to speak, in the South. I go back and forth on it, if I'm honest. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk to my team out in L.A. One year, my manager will be like, hey, you need to be out here for pilot season, which I did three, four years ago, I think. But the industry's always changing. Yeah. So one year they'll be like, yeah, you need to be out here. You need to move out here. The next year, my manager will be like, you're fine. Yeah, they're doing taped auditions. So you just never know. One year, it'll be like, oh, no, you need to be in the room so they see you the first time kind of deal. I actually went out for season two of Barry. Great show. Phenomenal show. And I auditioned for the main girl's ex-husband, who she was writing about. And he was like this mentally and physically abusive guy. Yeah. But I auditioned for that role. And I got to get in the room with Sherry Thomas, and she was super nice, lovely lady, and it was good to get in the room with her with a huge casting office. So, yeah. you know, now they, they knew who I was. Right. That role on Barry, did you end up getting that role, or was that somebody else? I, I did not. I felt really good about it. I felt like my <laughs> audition was very solid. Yeah. But they went with a guy a little, a little bigger and more... Like, oh, yeah, I could see him being like the abusive guy kind of deal. Sure, right. Where if you go with me, you're going with the almost like the really, huh, okay, mm. him yeah. being abusive or mentally and physically abusive. Right. Like it would have been a diff different way to go about it, but I felt really good about it. Yeah, like ultimately it was still worth it for you to get on the plane, to go to L.A., to have that audition in person, even if yeah. you didn't get the role, because you made some connections and you were able to show that you're dedicated and you're willing to take this seriously and, you know, that sort of thing, right? Yeah, and I think even while I was out there, I got an audition for, uh, it came out a couple years later with Justin Timberlake. Paul, I think it was called Palmer. It was called Palmer. Oh, Palmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. I auditioned for that. I didn't get the role, but I got to be in front of, the casting office that did like Dallas Buyers Club, you know, as actors, we have to have that confidence in ourselves that we, you know, that's why we train and we know we can do those other things. But sometimes you got to show casting and producers, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you think has been the biggest struggle that you have faced in the industry to date? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, well, Ozark, it's helped open up a lot more doors. Yeah. For me. 
but also you're going up against some pretty heavy hitters sometimes. Sure. And you see who books the roles that you audition for, like Rob Corddry or um, Pat Oswalt. Like, I mean, it, you just never know what producers are looking for. And really, you don't have any control over it anyways. Yeah. I also imagine that when we talk about struggles, we think back to last year when there was a huge SAG strike, the longest the union has ever seen. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people that maybe don't understand the industry or aren't in the day-to-day -day of Hollywood like we are, maybe failed to understand what they were fighting for in the SAG strike. And maybe mm. some people thought that like, oh, you know, do, does Tom Hanks and does Meryl Streep really need more money and more residuals? And we know that the strike wasn't for Tom Hanks. The strike wasn't no. for Meryl Streep. <laughs> there are certain people out there that were like, oh, these are just entitled actors. They just want more money. Right. No, like 85% of the union can't afford health care. Yeah. I always joke around like being an actor is the most stable job in the world because 99% of us don't work. <laughs> so it's stable. I think that gets to my bigger point here, which is that this industry uh, as a whole, but especially when you're an actor in the industry, it's remarkably competitive. And just because you hit red one day does not mean yeah. you're going to hit again the next, right? Exactly. Like you got this amazing role on Ozark and you earned it and you proved your worth and you went from being less than 50% to over 50% and you got the noms and you were at the shows and you got these huge roles on Stranger Things and everything in between. But that is no guarantee that the next role is right around the corner, right? Like you still got to yeah. go out there and fight just as hard and just as much as you did to get the roles that you got now, right? Oh, yeah. And you're going up against some people who have been in the business for a long time and their resume is very strong. And right. you just have to keep knocking on that door and be like, hey, I'm here. Yeah. You know, just just letting you know I'm here still. So when the writer strike happened, you know, nobody was really doing anything. Um, right. I had just gotten a new demo reel and I couldn't use it. Now we're back at it. I believe 2024 is going to be a good year. I just I have a good feeling. Amen to that. Well, with that in mind, this is the point in our show where we get to my favorite section, which is our world-famous Hollywood hot seat. Oh, God, hot seat. <laughs> yeah, we're cranking up the heat. Uh, <laughs> this is where I'm going to ask you 10 kind of rapid-fire questions about some of your favorite things, and I'm going to have you give me your whatever comes to mind first. Are you ready to play the Hollywood hot seat? Let's do it. Here we go. Question number one. Favorite movie? Dog Day Afternoon. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, that's such a nice choice. Oh, yeah. That's been my favorite for a while. Okay. Very good. Number two. I'm actually very interested to hear your answer to this one. Favorite TV show? See, I was a big sitcom fan. I mean, I loved the dramas, but man, I watched Friends over and over again when oh, I was younger. Yeah. Matthew Perry, may he rest in peace. He was my favorite. Yeah. Great answer, though. It's a classic answer, but it's a classic for a reason, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Wonderful answer. Number three, what is your go-to craft service snack when you are on set? Oh, uh, the Cliff Bar. Chocolate chip oh. Cliff Bar. All right. Very yeah. good. Number four, who is your Hollywood crush hall pass? I mean, it's got to be Jessica Chastain. I just, I. Oh, that's a great I've, I've had a crush on her for forever and a day, man. Probably since Take Shelter with Michael Shannon. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's great. Yeah. 
Do you think that's your favorite movie of hers? Oh, wow. There's so many. Uh, Zero Dark Thirty was really good. That's my favorite of hers. That's 100% my favorite Jessica Chastain movie. She is perfect in that movie. She's so good. I mean, she's been nominated a number of times. Yeah. But I think that was one of her first nominations. Yeah. It'll be fun to watch her continue in her career because I think she's just getting revved up. She's just getting started. Just like yourself, right? Uh, <laughs> number five, who is a talent that you are dying to work with? Oh, I think you probably, I think we just answered it. Jessica Chastain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This, this is like be. on Family yeah. Feud where you just, Jeez. you say the same answer to all the questions, right? <laughs> Dude, I finally got to meet her on Broadway like earlier this year because she was doing A Doll's House. Oh, wow. And I went out and saw Laura because she was doing a play. So I got tickets to go see Laura and I got tickets to go see Jessica Chastain. Oh my gosh. And I got to meet her like outside. Everybody was already in line because I didn't know where to go and everybody had already beaten me. And so I didn't actually get to like take a picture or shake hands. That would have been cool. Yeah. But I just wanted her to know how awesome she was. And I was like, I saw your speech at the SAG Awards. Loved it. It was beautiful. And I will see you on set because you remember she said that like, yeah, she's like, I'll see you on set. And she was like signing and she looked up. She's like, I will see you on set. You know, just, it was just, it was a small little moment. That's very cool. I'm slowing things down in the hot seat, but no, no, that's a worthy reason to pause. That's a good story. I like that. I can't wait to get to work with her. I put it out in the universe over and over and over again. It's going to happen. Well, once it does, we'll have you back on the show so we can talk all about it Uh, (laughs) there we go next question here number six if you could trade places with anybody for a day who would it be man uh i know they're shooting deadpool 3 right now (laughs) i would love to play deadpool and yeah be ryan reynolds for the day i think that's a great answer number seven favorite film score what always comes to mind is interstellar to me Ooh, okay. Yeah, there's a great scene. Again, if you don't cry during this, well, there's a couple scenes, but like the scene where Matthew McConaughey, like he's been on the planet where time flies by really fast. Right. And he's lost like 20 something years. Yeah. And he watches the tapes and his oldest son has a baby. Then later the baby dies. Just tears watching that scene. Anybody who doesn't cry on that scene, I... I guess you're just not human. There you go. And the music in the background is why I remember that so much. Oh, sure. Also in the movie, Jessica Chastain. (laughs) I was going to say, this is all relating back to the same thing. Right? All roads lead back to Jessica Chastain. Well, if you could invite three Hollywood legends, living or dead, to a dinner party, who would they be? Well, see, since you said legend, I mean, yes, Jessica Chastain, she's phenomenal, but like legend is like, Oh, you don't think she's legend status yet? Oh, this is going to get awkward if she listens. Well, not yet. She's, she will be a legend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's um, earning her legend status. Yes, exactly. Oh, man. I'm going to say Spielberg. Great answer. Um, Meryl Streep. Okay. And since Dog Day Afternoon is my favorite movie, I got to say Al Pacino. That'll be yeah. an interesting dinner conversation. I mean, Pacino alone. <laughs> Pick those brains? Good Lord. Uh, yeah. I, I Save me a seat. I'll be there. Um, this next question is one of my favorites. If you could go back in time and give your younger self one piece of advice about navigating Hollywood, what would you tell your younger self? Um, I'd say like, we all know it's a tough business. Just be kind to yourself Yeah, and having like people around you that are supporting you 
other actors are going through the same thing. And that's why it's always good to have that camaraderie, those people that have your back and you have their back because this is a tough business. And that's why I like to, I give shout outs all the time on Instagram when people are doing projects and because I'm happy I've worked with them. So just trust yourself, do the work, be kind to yourself. And, you know, just the universe works in mysterious ways. Sometimes it's not when you want it, but be kind to yourself is, 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 the is mainly it. Yeah. I think it's a great answer. And number 10, while we're still talking about advice, what is the best piece of advice you've received and who did it come from? I always go back to Brian Cranston because he says, I'm probably butchering it, but say you find a wallet on the ground and you open it up and you know, it's not your wallet, but you see whose it is. And you hand that wallet to like, here, this is your, I found your wallet. Here you go. So when you don't get a part and say a buddy of yours gets the part, it's like, that wasn't mine to be, Mm. this is yours. Oh, that's good. That's actually really good. It's like a mental switch, yeah. you know? That wasn't like, yours to begin with. You you were trying for it, but yeah. ultimately that money, that wallet, that's yeah. not yours. And also it's yours until it's not, mm. is a, a good friend of mine, Mike Milligan. Shout out to him. He's a buddy of mine in Atlanta. The audition, when you do it, it's yours until it's not. Yeah. And that's also like a mental switch. Like go ahead and have the feeling that you got it. Right. Kind of deal. Yeah. And yeah. But you never know what's going to happen, right? Excellent advice and a really great way to bring this episode to a close. Kevin, I have absolutely enjoyed getting a chance to hang out with you again. We don't get to do it often enough. For people that want to follow your journeys and adventures online on the social media and all that, where can they do that? You can find me on Instagram at the Kevin L. Johnson. I had to put the in the front because somebody already took Kevin L. Johnson. Uh, so, <laughs> so you are the I, Kevin I probably, L. Johnson. I promise I'm not like a douche or anything. I had to put it because somebody already had Kevin L. Johnson. I was like, all right, I guess I'm putting the in the front. Um, that's how you can find me. Yeah. And then on a Twitter, or I guess they call it X now. Yeah. It's at Kevin underscore L underscore Johnson. There you have it. Beautiful. All righty. Well, I'm sure you'll get a, a ton of new followers from our show. Kevin L. Johnson, I can't thank you enough for joining us today and sharing a bit of your Hollywood insight and fun stories. And uh, I hope we can do this again sometime. Dude, it was great catching up, man. Likewise. Love you, bud. All right. Cheers, man. Kyle on the Isle is an official podcast of Magic Lamp Productions and is recorded in the heart of Hollywood, California. This episode was executive produced and directed by me, Kyle Olson. Produced by Natalie Izquierdo and Lauren Wilson. Editing by Cody Crabb. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and rate it five stars. Every single review goes a long way. And while you're at it, give us a follow on our social media channels at Kyle on the Isle. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle Olson, and I'll be saving you a seat next time on the Isle. And That's a wrap, folks.